Ordinary Voices is sponsored by RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff. RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff is creating dynamic, inclusive, progressive, and grace-centered material designed to transform your congregation's worship experience. Their team of gifted writers and editors design unique material to support congregations using the narrative lectionary. Stuff like prayers, children bulletins, children's sermons, skits, take-home devotions for adults, original music, plus valuable sermon resources. Go to clergystuff.com to see their broad spectrum of resources, including a ton of free stuff. RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff is here to make your worship planning experience fun and easy. Visit clergystuff.com. Worship that works for you. And uh, then I stopped coming to camp because I just really couldn't take that anymore. It was it was exhausting. Right. And um, anxiety usually is. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> This is Ordinary Voices, inviting ordinary people into conversations about life and faith. I'm your host, Eric Elkin. I created this podcast to help me, a pastor, better understand people and the way they view the world. Now I'm inviting you into the conversation, so together we might listen. Listen for the extraordinary stories dwelling inside every ordinary voice. Guests on the show are not authorities. They're simply people willing to share with us the authenticity of their own thoughts. I try to provide the guests freedom to talk and let them determine the direction of the conversation and reflect upon the things I heard them say. Each show, I ask listeners to listen like a good camp counselor. Good camp counselors allow children to express themselves without judgment. They listen for what the camper is trying to say. People who listen tend to understand each other better, and we live in a world desperate for ears. So let's begin today's show, Lessons from Canoe Country. Labor Day in Minnesota marks the official end of summer. Tuesday morning, when school bells ring, everyone knows it's fall. A thought about days gone by when the first day of school was sharing something about what you did over the summer. So I traveled to Lake Vermilion in northern Minnesota to visit the camp staff of Voyager's Lutheran Ministries. I wanted to hear about their summer. This is the first of two interviews with summer staff from Camp Vermilion. My guests and I sat down on a dock, the waters of Lake Vermilion lapping onto the shore under our feet. Unfortunately, my microphone caught the wind as well, so I apologize. But fortunately, I was able to correct the problem midway through our conversation. So let's meet our guest and hear how camp did not exactly come natural to her. So my name is Christy Redberg. I was born and raised in Hibbing, Minnesota. And Hibbing is a town that's about an hour away from Camp Vermilion. So I grew up coming to camp. I was here as a camper from 2003 to 2007. Um, but I stopped coming to camp because I had, I, I had a, a hard time with homesickness. In 2003, I was eight years old, I think. Um, yeah, Sunday to Tuesday, were they were really hard days. And I knew once I made it to Wednesday, I would be fine. But it would manifest itself in uh, 
like I would have dread before coming to camp and then I would <laughs> this is gonna sound so sad but I would cry myself to sleep <laughs> you know? and uh, I I think I remember once or twice telling my counselor but I never wanted to be like the emotional camper <laughs> It sounds no. so terrible, but... I, I cried myself to sleep, but I didn't want to be that emotional yeah. camper. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to be... I didn't like, want others to know. So, you were going through this, but you didn't really let the counselor know? I mean, once... I, like, I would let them know, but I never... I don't think I let them know the full extent of how homesick I was. Okay. Um, like, last night, I helped a, a camper call home, and... You know, like, I didn't even know that was an option. And that's because they don't make it an option, right. you know. But um, I just kind of suffered through it until right. Wednesday. And and I had fun. It was just uh, down times, you know, right. like, in the morning. Well, actually, not in the morning, but during, like, siesta time. And then uh, right before bed. Those were really hard times for me until Wednesday. And then, yeah, then Wednesday I was fine. Did you go through this from every summer you came up from 2003 to 2008? Yes, yeah. So, and that's why I stopped coming. I, yeah, my last summer was in 2007, I think. So I, I was only here for four summers. And uh, then I stopped coming to camp because I just really couldn't take that anymore. It was, it was exhausting. Most people who discover a home at camp have a story, a moment which forges the camp experience deep into their hearts and lives. It's a burning bush-like experience where something profound happens. It shapes both your identity to see yourself and God in a new light. When that happens, if that happens, you are changed. You become something new, and it is a new birth which never goes away. Let's listen to Christy describe her encounter with new life. I actually didn't come back to camp until 2011 when um, I went on my first Boundary Waters trip. And I signed up for it. Not, I don't even remember why I signed up for it because... Right. Up until that point in my life, I had never... I mean, I loved swimming. I loved being at the cabin. I loved doing that. But I didn't know that I had a love for the outdoors. Um, so I don't really know why I signed up for it. Because it was totally outside of my realm. It's nothing my parents had ever done with me. Um, so, but yeah, I did it. And I remember thinking, like... Uh, and, of course, these are back in the days when, with Vermilion, we could dip our water bottles into the lake and not right. filter. So right. I remember thinking, like, I don't want to drink water from a lake. I don't want to use a bathroom on a toilet that has no walls around it in the middle of the woods. Did the thought of homesickness come up at all? When, I mean, I mean... Um, I think it did, but it definitely wasn't as bad as what it had been right I'm kind of, I'm kind of blown away I mean just really there. well just because like you had these you had this experience where you liked it but it was an anxiety filling experience yes to come to camp mm -hmm. and like going on a boundary wise trip like, you know like it's a taking a big bite of life isn't it yes I didn't know what I was getting myself into which is probably good right? <laughs> I really didn't oh. 
For people who do not know, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area is over 1 million acres of wilderness within the Superior National Forest in the northeast part of Minnesota, along the Canadian border. The land is a series of lakes connected by ancient paths, called portages, where early Americans, both Native and European, carried their canoes from one lake to the next. Motorized boats are not permitted in the Boundary Waters. There are no roads, no signs, and no easy way out. It is one of the last truly wilderness experiences accessible to ordinary people. Everything you take in, you must take out, on your back, along with the canoe. Toilets are holes in the ground with a clay tube and a toilet seat sitting on top of it. There are no privacy walls to the toilets. Deciding to go on a Boundary Water trip seems a bold decision for a girl who got homesick sleeping in a cabin with a comfortable bed and a bathroom. But she learns the difference right away. So what was that trip like? Oh my goodness, let me tell you. I loved it. You know, it's the reason why I'm here today. But I remember the first day we put in Fall Lake and we paddled all the way up past the motorized zone in Basswood Lake. And we found this campsite that um, it's on the western side and it's in a bay. So I remember after a long day, my hands had blisters on them and I was sunburned because it was a beautiful sunny day. And we show up there and then now there's all this grass. So I was afraid of ticks. And so we set up our tents and we're cooking steaks. And then a bear comes into our camp. There had been issues with a bear around there. And, and it, this one-year-old male came into our camp. And I remember my guide. Uh, or Well, so we were all banging our pots and pans. Right. And the bear would not go away. So my guide took off after the bear. And as a, and it was really funny because he turned around and said, like, grab my camera. And then kept running <laughs> after the bear. So... <laughs> So, I mean, but that was really terrifying. I mean, now it's a good memory, but right. at that moment, that was so terrifying. And I could not go to the bathroom at that site because it was so scary. <laughs> a bear came into our camp. Holy crap. <laughs> That's not anything I signed up for. Um, so, and then later that night, we had a big thunderstorm. And that's when I realized I'm in a tent. There is nothing between me and this tent. You know, after having a day like that, <laughs> you would, like, I can't believe that, I don't know what it was, but, I mean, the rest of the days, I, I don't really remember that much. I just remember that first day was just filled with so many new experiences. Do you remember the final day when you're... You kind of come back into camp. Do you remember that at all? Oh, I certainly do. So we exited out Angleworm. So it's a two-mile portage out. And my guide had been pumping us up the whole week for this two-mile portage. And um, <laughs> I remember following my pastor out. And he was carrying the canoe. And all I could think about was, thank goodness I'm not carrying the canoe. <laughs> so I was just cheering him on. And we got to the end, to the parking lot, and we had all dressed up as pirates, and we put charcoal on our faces, and um, my guide had a carabiner hook and a parrot and stuff like that. And we had our, our ship, our canoe was our ship. And so it, I just remember having so much fun amidst the hard work. Mm -hmm. 
What's it like when you get back home? <laughs> I mean, um, does it stay with you at all? Or? Oh, yes, big time. I, uh, I try to uh, incorporate canoeing and aspects of canoeing as much as I could in my life. Like, I kept the bracelets that we had gotten. I uh, kept trying to get out on the water as much as I could and uh, just felt like it like there was nothing that I could do to replicate that experience. What and was I, missing from it that you couldn't replicate? Um, I really missed the community and the hard work. Right. I really appreciated that, that aspect. I guess then I had to learn how to deal with the fact that like the Boundary Waters is a very unique place and um, and there are certain aspects about it that can't always be replicated, you know. Right. So right. I, I had to learn how to grieve and let go of that moment, uh, which was hard that first time, um, which is why I came back. <laughs> right. I um, My church wasn't doing a trip in 2012, so I actually put together a trip of my friends. I got, I think I got four friends together and then it was myself. And then in 2013, I jumped on to a trip uh, that had, it was a bunch of us pulled together, um, including now two uh, co-workers that I've worked with. I, I went out on a trip with them. And on that trip, uh, we planned with our guide to go scare Carolyn. Carolyn is the like super camp volunteer. And uh, so we, <laughs> we, you know, put the charcoal on our faces again. And we got to Mudro early. And when Carolyn came walking down the trail to go uh, pick us up, you know, see us come in, we ran after her and scared her. And, and we made her Christmas card. <laughs> that That's fun. when you know you made it. When you know you're yes. somebody's Christmas card. You yes. accomplished something significant. Christy has changed. She discovers something about herself she never knew. A change that will not only shape her recreational mindset, but will send her off into new areas of discovery. In truth, no experience can be replicated. Even if Christy pulled together the exact same group for the exact same route, the trip would be different. Christy comes to an understanding. We let go of those experiences. We grieve their passing, but when grief gives way, an expectation of something new beginning enters in. When I asked her what she couldn't replicate, she said the community and the hard work and the uniqueness of the Boundary Waters. She will return to these themes in her reflection. But Christie's old nemesis returns when she goes to college. January of my freshman year, so I I had dealt some more that whole semester with homesickness and the shock of... Um, switching from you know, high school to college, right. I uh, coming from a small town, I never really got the opportunity um, to be challenged in the way that I was going to be challenged, like not only academically but also um, community-wise. You know, how do you live in community um, for longer than a week? Yeah, exactly, for longer yeah. than a week. Yeah. So January, I wanted to be home. I wanted to be back in Hibbing, close to my family. Uh, so I signed up to be a swim coach and a lifeguard. By the time May rolled around, I wanted to work at camp, but it was too late then. Going to the Boundary Waters was my way of getting in camp without you know, working at camp. 
unable to be at camp, hungering for a wilderness experience, Christy organizes her own trip into the Boundary Waters. It was an amazing trip, and it forged her commitment to work at camp the following summer. Camp Vermilion has a traditional on-site summer program. They also offer something called Canoe Country. Canoe Country guides lead groups into the Boundary Waters for week-long excursions. This program is designed for older campers and more experienced staff. Christy was hired to be a counselor in the traditional summer program. However, her highlight for the summer, well, I'll let her tell you. My first summer, it was, I remember it being difficult, but also difficult in a, a really good way, <clears throat> as it should be, because, you know, camp isn't easy. Um, I remember being very tired, and I lost my voice a lot, um, because I was always yelling, and I don't know how to use my vocal cords correctly. Um, but I had so much fun. I loved almost all of my campers. I mean, you you know, like, Anybody I love them all, but they were they all difficult. Them. You know? <laughs> says they, you love them all, but yes. not everyone but not you every, gravitate to. Yes, exactly. Exactly, yes. Um, but the week that stands out was the week that I got to be a guide in training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went out with a guide and um, a group from Cloquet. And I had the best time. And we just grew so close on that trip. And um, I especially grew pretty close with the adult leader. Uh, (laughs) And I came back just loving it. And I knew that I wanted to be a guide the next summer. New camp staff always have a difficult time finding their place within the community of returning staff. Returning staff need to grieve and let go of the previous summer before they're able to move forward into a new one. In Christie's first summer, this process was a little more complex. The previous summer, five staff members were involved in a tragic car accident, resulting in the death of one of the counselors. Returning staff were not only trying to let go... They were trying to reclaim joy in the midst of sadness and grief. But that wasn't the only thing Christy was dealing with that summer. What was the most challenging point of that summer? Mm. I think the most challenging part was um, being present uh, at camp. While also I was going to study abroad in India in the fall and so I had the challenge of hold on yeah. <laughs> you swim in a pool of irony <laughs> I know I know <laughs> think about that you get this repeated homesickness thing going and, but you you keep on taking like these risky adventures it's I know of... <laughs> I know the one one thing about me is I, I love to challenge myself I love to push myself outside of my comfort zone um, it's something that I learned from my high school swim coach, uh, was that's the only way you can get better is to go into the, where you're uncomfortable, right. you know? So, um, and it, yeah, that was another thing where I was like, I, I, I just had this feeling like I need to be, I need to be doing this. Right. 
Ordinary Voices is about listening to the thoughts of ordinary people in hopes we can build a better understanding of each other. So thank you for listening, and please consider inviting others to join you, or just give a good ratings on iTunes. If you're interested in hearing more Ordinary Voices interviews, go to the website OrdinaryVoices.org, follow it on iTunes or Stitcher. If you just want something to read, sign up to receive the devotions on the website OrdinaryVoices.org. The devotions are turned into short prayer podcasts to help busy people find time to pray and reflect. Ordinary Voices is a listener-supported show. If you enjoy it, please consider financially supporting it on the website OrdinaryVoices.org. Also, check out RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff, dynamic, inclusive, progressive, grace-centered resource material designed to transform your congregation's worship experience. Visit ClergyStuff.com to see their broad spectrum of resources, including free stuff. ClergyStuff.com. Worship planning made fun and easy. Now let's return to our conversation with Christy. We've heard why camp is so foundational to Christy's identity in life, how it has helped challenge her and form her. But I still want to know about this summer. What was it like and why did she decide to return? Note, Erin is one of the program directors for Voyager's Lutheran Ministries. What was your reason for coming back this year? Okay, yeah, so... I was in a job that I felt stuck in and I didn't like it. And in November, I think Aaron reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in being the assistant program director for Canoe Country. So at first I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, why? I, I just got this new job. I'm not going to quit it. But then I let it, I didn't give him an answer, and then I let it sink in for a little bit. And then probably like a week later, I was like, no, I got to come back. I really want to come back. So um, I did my interview in February. I Yeah, February. And then like a week later, they offered me the job. So I took it. And uh, it's one of those things that I knew, like I needed camp. And I, and this summer is unique, so I think camp needed me, but um, but I also think I really needed camp. What does that mean? Um, I felt very stuck after I graduated and had this, I completed this milestone, um, and then I did Yagam and had my world flipped upside down, and I and then I think you know six months ago I kind of felt lost. Um, I, so, if you don't mind me backtracking. There you go. <laughs> um, so, when I entered college, I was going to major in biology, and I was going to be pre-med, and I, I was planning to take one or two years off and go into medicine. And um, my time in India changed that thought um, a little bit. I was still considering medicine, but also I learned a lot more about how the world actually works, and became interested in social justice and careers that involve social justice. Um, so I was looking at, you know, like public health or social work or um, law at that time. And then I did Yegum and then seminary kind of came up. 
um, as a thought. So I felt lost because I felt like I didn't have any direction. And I knew camp would be a place that would really challenge me. Um, personally. And it would give me community, which I did not have in my last job. As well as the adventure that I loved. Right. So I decided to come back as a uh, three-month respite. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but... Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Um, Might even be a pilgrimage. Yeah, pilgrimage. You're, you're sitting there thinking about how kind of removing yourself from something to think about the future while still being engaged with the world, isn't it? Yeah, isn't yeah. That something like that? Pilgrimage, yeah. Uh-huh. Sounds really good, nothing else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But yeah, so I... Yeah, that's, uh, that's why I wanted to come back. And, you know, when the dust settled... I, I figured I'd have an answer. Since so last week at camp, is there an answer? I think so, yeah. Okay. Pilgrimage is a journey, or a search for spiritual significance. Sometimes it's to a shrine, but more often, as in Christie's case, the destination is a location of importance to a person's beliefs or faith. Pilgrimages are often community experiences where prayer and reflection are mixed with work and social time with others. For many people who have their identities formed at camp, the camp that shaped them becomes a pilgrimage site for the rest of their lives. Let's listen as I ask Christy a series of questions about her summer. This summer... It's kind of been an interesting summer for the staff, right? Because yes. one of the few times that it's understaffed. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what, is, what kind of challenge is that presenting? Um, as somebody in a leadership position, uh, the challenge that I have most faced is how to um, how to re-energize, reinvigorate, and um, support staff who are overstressed. And who are doing more than they signed up for, um, as well as taking doing self care for myself because I can't dole it out and then not right. help myself as well. Um, so that has that has been the biggest challenge. What have you learned about yourself as a leader? Yeah, um, emergencies. I learned that I really like to help others succeed. So I'm more of a behind-the-scenes leader. I want to give people the tools and resources that they can to succeed. And it makes me really happy when I do see that. Or I see something come together. Mm -hmm. Like a a chills moment. Right. And what do you think your biggest challenge has been Hmm. as a leader? I think my biggest challenge, I mean, especially since we are understaffed, I've had to go out on Boundary Waters trips, um, which I've loved. But it's making sure that the Canoe Country program um, is running well, in addition to also taking care of what I need to get done. Mm-hmm. So, c- taking care of two different aspects of camp. If that makes sense. So, for instance, making sure 
the guides have their sat phones and health forms and that orientation is ready to go in addition to making sure all of my gear is set and ready to go. So uh, the day before our group came in. That took a lot of forward thinking, sometimes sacrificing my time off just to make sure that everything ran smoothly. Planning week-long canoe trips into the wilderness requires a great deal of work and preparation. It's more than creating an agenda. Food needs to be ordered, prepped, and packed. Equipment needs to be checked, repaired, then double-checked. Everything needs to be functioning well for a trip to be successful, because once the group enters the wilderness, they're on their own. Which also makes me wonder, how do you supervise staff spread out all over the Boundary Waters? I've always been interested in this. How do you like supervise staff when they're all over in the Boundary Waters somewhere? <laughs> I mean, our only form of communication is through sat phones. So, um, they're What's up through a what? A, a, sorry, a satellite phone. Okay. okay. So it's um, it's different from a cell phone. It's it it's similar to a, a '90s cell phone. It's a big block with okay. a big antenna that you can pull out and. Um, so it can connect to a satellite even when there are not cell towers around. Okay. So our canoe guides take those out, and that's how they can communicate back to us. But also they have to communicate back with us in order for us to know about anything. Right, so, right. yeah, supervising, I don't want to say non-existent, but it doesn't really happen when you're out there because you don't know what's going on. Right. Our guides are older than our counselors, so they're more mature Um and we have longer training to ensure that not only do they know the skills, but they also know proper like etiquette, respect, attitudes out there as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And just you hope that that it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Any storm troubles this summer? Oh, or... big time. Yes. Um, <laughs> we had. Uh, I, I distinctly remember two storms uh, that. The first one washed out the road, the road that's just outside camp. So we were taking our trip out and we couldn't get across it. So we were stuck in camp. The next week we had another major storm that caused a big power outage. So we had, what was it, over a hundred people here in camp and we didn't have any power and had to struggle to find ways to cook food. It's That's one of the nice things about having canoe groups is that they don't need power once they're out there just get them out there most of the world sees camp as a place where young people go to play and do crazy things but as you listen to christy you hear camp is a place where you're trained in how to deal with people handle emergencies and how to weave the challenges in with the joys to form a positive experience and perspective So what did Christy learn at camp to take back into the non-camp world, or as everyone calls it, the real world? You offer a perspective where you've been out in, um, you know, that classic real world. And what have you learned at camp that helps you? Um, I would say, just flipping through my summers, I've learned hard work patience, um, thoughtfulness, leadership skills such as 
um, understanding both sides, realizing that not everything is fair, and how much I value community and being out out in nature and um, the physical exercise that I get here at camp. So you say thoughtfulness. What, what does that mean? When I said that, I was thinking about perhaps, you know, in a Bible study, learning to recognize when a kid is about to have a provoking thought and pulling it out. Or, like, if it's already been said, highlighting it, you know. Or um, highlighting a behavior such as, say, the kid has been acting up because they're missing something. They're missing something in their life. So learning how to notice that and then also encourage when they are doing behaviors that just blow your mind. You know, so it, I guess it's not thoughtfulness like, oh, like you did this for me, I'm going to do this for you, thoughtfulness, but being aware of the people that I'm with and their actions and their thoughts and bringing out their best. When you see somebody acting, well, they're acting in a way you know there's something behind it. Yeah. Or you have a suspicion. Uh-huh. How, how do you deal with that? Um, that's actually something that I've been trying to work on this summer. Um, and I try and be have an honest conversation with them and be blunt about what I'm seeing and be blunt about how much I care about them and and if it's as if it's um, a behavior that isn't acceptable um, in that moment in time, then I try to have a conversation with it or about it. Um, and I also try to highlight those times when they are good. And try to be blunt about that as well. I like that. I like that description. Blunt. Yeah. When used in reference to a person or remark, the dictionary defines blunt as uncompromisingly forthright. We typically think of blunt comments in the negative. How cool is it when used in the positive to be uncompromisingly forthright in stating someone's positive attributes or actions? That would seem a great community building tool to me, one we might all consider using. is one memory that you're going to take with you? Just... One memory. Uh, <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a few that, that popped up, but they're good memories for me, but maybe not for somebody else. So I had to handle an emergency once, and I, I was just proud of the way that I, I was a little slow to pick up on what was happening. But no, I actually wouldn't say that. I, I did pick up on what was happening and I was able to carry out um, an, an emergency action plan and handle the situation uh, with, and handle what needed to be done and that what was not being uh, filled by other people. So um, I felt very proud of myself in the way that I recognized and handled that emergency. How has this place helped you with your faith life? 
Uh, maybe um, that's a leading question. A leading question. Because I'm already say, putting it in a positive. You know, how has it shaped your, probably how it shaped your faith life. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that I've gotten to work with people who are um, open about their faith. And um, I also appreciate that I've gotten to work with people who have struggled with their faith. Um, I think that this place has um, been a tornado to my faith. It's tossed it around quite a bit. Um, you know, so even though in front of campers I'm talking about God, I, personally, I, camp has also allowed me to really struggle with what I believe in as well. How's, how so? Um, I think being able to have conversations that aren't always so leading. Yeah, I, it's just really nice being with coworkers who are my age, who are Christian, um, and talking about their faith and why they believe what they believe and where they come from. And um, so I don't even know if this is going to answer your question, but just being together with people my age is so, it's, it's a very unique thing. Right. Reflecting on this part of our conversation, I find myself struggling with faith and the importance of being with people your own age. As a congregational pastor, I feel this overwhelming pressure to minister to like-minded groups. Older members only want to be with older members. Even among older members, individual circumstances divide. People with a spouse or without a spouse or caring for a spouse all want to be separated. Younger members only want to be with younger members. And even then, there are singles, couples, couples with children. How do we form a collective sense of community where classifications seem so important? But this is not Christie's issue. It's mine. What I think Christie is saying is in the real world, you don't always get to work with people with a shared mindset, a common Christian faith, no matter where you are in that faith, and a specific community in a shared stage of life. Either way... Her words reflect why camps should remain important in the life of people and congregations. The need for a pilgrimage never goes away. To go out into the wilderness to find our common bond. Is there kind of an adjustment period when, you, when the summer's over of getting back into... Yes. Yeah? Yeah. What's that like? Um... Uh, so I personally, I love being by the water and I love being walking around outside all day. Uh, that's something you just don't get in a city. Uh, so it's a hard adjustment moving indoors per se and um, being away from water. I think as the years go by, it gets easier. A little bit easier to make that adjustment, but I still feel drawn back to this place. Earlier, Christy said she found an answer about this coming fall. Her answer was less formed than I expected. It had two parts. She narrowed down her direction and created a list of possibilities. The second part was a spiritual approach grounded in hope. (laughs) 
So you are completely open going into this fall. Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> it's scary, but also I feel like I should be a little bit more worried about it. <laughs> but I'm not. And I think camp and church and Yegum have kind of shown me that I don't... Things work out. They, just, they work out somehow. So... Pretty much that one statement kind of sums up the impact in camp, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, because you started out talking about this anxiety of, of being away from home. Mm -hmm. And that experience and being, you know, flirting with homesickness. Yeah. <laughs> and now through this this journey that you've gone through, one thing's led to another, led to another, and now you're kind of in a, a place of a peace. Yeah. I was in the middle of preparing a sermon on baptism when I left to go up north to interview Christy. It was part of a short sermon series based on the book by Rowan Williams called Being Christian. He grounded his reflection on baptism in the words of Romans chapter 6 verses 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Rowan Williams talked about being dropped in the water and swamped in the reality of Christ. These are very common images in the world of canoeing. So obviously, Christie was deep in my thoughts when I reflected on his words. Williams pointed out, you need to go into the water to come out. Baptism is about going down into the watery chaos where the wind of God blows the Holy Spirit over and into the water. So when you come out, you come out a new humanity, a restoration of the person God desired you to be. It was hard not to see Christie's story in these observations. Her first trip into the boundary waters was going down into the watery chaos. She brought her chaos of anxiety and fear into the wilderness. Her chaos included a bear and ticks, an open-air toilet, a fierce storm in a flimsy tent. But maybe the storm was the wind of God breathing over her campsite, because she emerged from that trip a new creation, a new person. Her closing words and confidence about the fall were reflected in these words by Rowan Williams. The new humanity around Jesus is not a humanity that is always going to be successful or in control of things but a humanity that can reach out its hand from the depths of chaos to be touched by the hand of God. Christy does not have her professional career figured out nor secured. She may not even have her faith life completely sorted out. But she has confidence that even in the depths of her need and chaos, God's love is recreating and refreshing her to be the person God intended her to be. And this hope is more enduring than any career. Be 
That's our show. I want to thank Christy for sharing and thank you for listening. Perhaps this show might leave you wondering, where is the Spirit of God refreshing and reforming you? I've recorded several interviews which will be released into shows in the coming weeks. One with Tyler, another counselor with a different story. One with Alex, a teacher preparing for the fall semester. A college counselor talking about addiction recovery in higher education. And hopefully a female World War II pilot. Until then, check out the website, OrdinaryVoices.org, to follow along. This is a listener-supported show. If you enjoy it, please consider financially supporting it by clicking the Donate button on the website, OrdinaryVoices.org. I encourage you to check out ClergyStuff.com. RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff is where worship planning is made fun and easy. On behalf of all Ordinary Voices, thanks for listening, and I look forward to our next conversation.